right. Book of Jude. The book of Jude. Does that show up pretty good? This. Can you guys read that outline? All right, let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again for allowing us to be here tonight as, as your children to look into your word and to be taught. And we pray for the other ministries that are going on. And uh, Lord, that, that your name will be uplifted above all other names. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so tonight, I want to go through the book of Jude. And I'm going to take Vince's advice and, and try not to ask any questions. Because I can't hear your answers anyway. Because I don't hear where my hearing aids when I have this microphone on. So, if you just follow with me, and uh, we'll go down through these 25 verses and see if the Lord can remind us of some things. So, let me, let me start by giving a little background. In your, in your Bibles, a lot of Bibles will have an introduction to the book. And so, I want to read what I have here. It says, fight, contend, do battle. When apostasy rises, when false teachers emerge, when the truth of God is attacked, it is time to fight for the faith. Only believers who are spiritually in shape can answer the summons. At the beginning of this letter, Jude focuses on the believer's common salvation, but then feels compelled to change them to contend to the faith, for the faith. The danger is real. False teachers have crept into the church, turning God's grace into unbounded license to do as they please. Jude reminds such men of God, of God's past dealings with unbelieving Israel, disobedient angels, and wicked Sodom and Gomorrah. In the face of such danger, Christians should not be caught off guard. The challenge is great, but so is the God who is able to keep them from stumbling. And so, with that, I want to go into the book of Jude. And, and you've got the outline up there. I'm going to leave that up there for a while. I've only got two slides tonight. And one of them is that outline. So, as we look into the, the first couple of verses here, it's called the greeting or the salutation and, and authorship. So let me read those. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, who's he writing to? To those who are called, sanctified by God, by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now I have, since I'm going through First Peter in Sunday school, First Peter, and, and they're, really kind of a question on what the date is on, on the book of Jude, whether it was before or after Peter uh, wrote his letters. But we know that Peter wrote his letters about between 60, 65, 68 A.D. And so uh, some people, some people uh, have different dates that they want to give. But that's okay. We don't, we're not here to, to look at dates exactly. But either way, the book of Jude and the book of First and Second Peter in some ways go together because they refer to the same things. 
So I've got a note here from, from Warren Wiersbe. Uh, Jude has started to write a quiet devotional letter about salvation. That's what he started out to do, an encouragement. But then the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, led him to put down his harp and sound the trumpet. So it's a, it's a call to the battle. So in, in verse 3, well, he says in, in uh, verse 3, he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. To the saints. For certain men, in verse 4, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's given this, this reason why he's writing this letter. And uh, let me read what I've got here. The epistle of Jude is a call to arms. The captain of the army is Jesus Christ. And the soldiers he commands are people who share a common salvation through faith in him. Jude calls them saints, which simply means set apart ones. He addresses them as sanctified, which again means set apart ones. Certainly, those who know Christ as their Savior enjoy a unique position. They are called by God to be set apart for God that they might enjoy Love with God. While their fellowship with the Father might change from day to day, their relationship as children cannot change. Does that make sense? Sometimes we don't feel like God's children, but that doesn't change our relationship or our family relationship with Him. They are preserved in Jesus Christ. And now I want you to notice something. Because Jude would write a great deal in this letter about sin and judgment, he was careful at the very outset to define the special place that believers have in the heart and plan of God. So it's, you've heard the, the old saying that if you want to encourage someone, you want to tell them something, something that they, they might need to do, then first you want to give them a little bit of good news, you know. Now, that's different when we're sharing the gospel. We want to share the bad news first, that we're all sinners, and we need to be saved by grace. But when you want to encourage someone, you usually you compliment them on something that they've already done, and then you say, you know, it might be better this way. Now, I get, I get encouragement all the time from, from uh, the brothers around here, and, uh, and I try to take good advice, and sometimes I don't always do that, <laughs> I, but I try. And so Jude is saying, look, brothers, I really wanted to write to you about this great salvation that we have. But because of what's happening, it's important that we all come together because we're in a battle. Okay. Okay. 
Here we see we have the spiritual army that Jude was addressing. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you are, you are in this army. God is not looking for volunteers. Now, when we were in the, some of us were in the military, and they'd go around and, and ask for volunteers, nobody raised their hand because they know that they're, they're probably going to get picked anyway. So they just go around and say, okay, you, you're, you volunteered, you volunteered. Is that right? And so uh, God's not looking for volunteers. You, once you receive Christ as your Savior, you're in the army. You are a soldier. The question is, what kind of soldier will I be? And we have to ask ourselves that question. Will I be a rebellious soldier or will I be a loyal soldier? So in Jude 4, uh, the verse 4, he said, For certain men have crept in unnoticed. Who, and I want to I look at this for a minute. There are five things we want to point out just in, in this verse right here. Number one, these guys crept in. You know, it, I don't know if, you, if you've ever been around some place where maybe snakes are pretty, pretty uh, heavy. I know Anita and Jeff at one of their houses, they moved in. They had, they had uh, a bed of snakes, uh, I don't know how many years, but, but uh, for a while. But they slither in, you know, they slither in. Jude is saying, hey, watch out for these certain men. He doesn't name them. He just says certain men have crept in unnoticed. First thing, they crept in. Unnoticed. Second thing, they were marked or they were ordained for this. He says, who long ago were marked for this condemnation. Now, let me explain something here. God does not choose whether you're going to go to hell and somebody else is going to get saved. God offers the free gift of salvation to every human being. The problem is every human being doesn't receive the gospel, doesn't receive the person of Jesus Christ for their forgiveness of sins as their Lord and their Savior. So those people who reject Christ and his salvation are the ones who are already marked out for eternal damnation because they have refused. And, and we don't know when that time comes. Only, only God knows. God is the one. But our job is to make sure that we try to tell people about the gospel. But these people, they were ordained to judgment. They were ungodly. Let me, let me read my notes here. This is one of Jude's favorite words. While these men claimed to be, belong to God, they were in fact ungodly in their thinking and their living. Look at verse 4 again. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So they were ungodly. Ungodly in their thinking, ungodly in their living. 
and they were enemies of God's grace. It says, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness. And lewdness is a, is a word that is it pretty much just entails anything immoral. They were deceitful. Let me read it again. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turned the grace of our Lord, uh, grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So they were deceitful. Sometimes Satan's undercover agents are brought in secretly by those who are already on the inside. But these men came in on their own. Peter warned that these men were coming in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. And, and I don't have a bunch of slides, so I'm just going to read my notes. So now that they had arrived on the scene, how could false brethren get into true how could the false brethren get into the true assemblies of the saints? The soldiers, here's a note, the soldiers had gone to sleep at the post. Now, I don't know how many of you have been in the military. I know a few of you have. But when you're put on a post, you don't dare fall asleep. Because if you do, you're going to be heavily reprimanded. And so, how do, how do these people come into the church, into the assemblies of the saints, they creep in. They're really sneaky. They have an agenda. And that's why, again, we're reminded that the Lord says, watch and pray. You've got to be awake at the post. The spiritual leaders in the churches had grown complacent and careless. This explains why Jude had to blow the trumpet to wake them up. Our Lord and his apostles all warned that false teachers would rise, yet the churches did not heed the warning. And a little note says, sad to say, you, we can see that today. Another thing, they denied God's truth. It says in verse 4, even denying the Lord that bought them. All right. He says, and let me read verse 4 again. For certain men have crept in unnoticed for long, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says they forgot uh, who bought them. And so we want to keep that in mind. In verse 5, I want to go to verse 5 because I really... I really appreciate this word. Uh, for years, this word has meant something uh, to me because I'm a forgetful person. But verse 5 says, but I want to remind you. All right, why do we need to be reminded? Because we forget. He says, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt... Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. Now, he says, I want to remind you. 
One of the one of the tests that we should probably try to pay attention to, if we're going to be a, a, any kind of a, a leader at all in a church, we have to ask the question: Who is Jesus Christ to you? Who is the person of Jesus to you? If he's just a good teacher and nothing else, that doesn't fit. We have, to, we have to understand that he is God in the flesh who came to this earth to die willingly for our sins. So this next section is warning against false teachers. And the examples of God's judgment on, on unbelief in verses 5 through 7. Let me read those. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he, was, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in all similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Both Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and the author of Hebrews and we take a guess of who that is, but we don't know for sure. It's only speculation, uh, heavy speculation. Uh, but they use the experiences of Israel to illustrate important spiritual truths. The nation was delivered from Egypt by the power of God and brought to the border of the promised land. But the people were afraid and did not have the faith to enter in and possess the land. You remember the story in in uh, of the account in, in Numbers. Uh, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb tried to encourage the people to obey God by faith. But the people refused. In fact, the leaders of the tribes even wanted to organize and go back to Egypt in the place of bondage. Now, when I was looking at this and and they read that they, they wanted to go back to Egypt. There, there's a song that that uh, Keith Green wrote years ago. Vince, I think that's one of your favorite songs, is it? Do you want to go back? So you, so you or do you? So you want to go back to Egypt. Now, I'm not, I'm actually not a Keith Green fan, but I, I do like some of his stuff. Um, but that, that's what that reminded me of. And if, you, if you've never heard the song, you might want to Google it. And, and uh, To me, it, it, the, the lyrics are good. I just don't care for the noise that it makes. So <laughs> it doesn't have a country sound. So, <laughs> so But anyway, he, he gives a history a little bit of, of how Israel rebelled against God. And so we want to look at that a little bit. Um, this was rebellion against the will and the word of God. And God cannot tolerate rebellion. He can't. 
He's a holy, holy, holy God. As a result, everybody in the camp 20 years and older was destined to die at the same time in the next 40 years. At, at some time, I mean, not at the same time, at some time in the next 40 years. Their unbelief led to their extermination. And this is where these false teachers that are creeping into the church because they reject reject God's uh, command to, to get saved, to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as full payment for their sin. They're on their way to a eternal fire. Now, keep in mind that Jude was using a historical event as an illustration, and we must not press every detail of it. Now, and the reason is, the reason, uh, and, and this is Warren Wiersbe's note on this, the reason he says we must not press every detail on it is because there's such controversy between who these fallen angels were that didn't keep their own estate, keep their own place, and some people think they were they were fallen angels who 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 came down and, and uh, got a hold of some women and made them pregnant and so on. Well, and then other people think, well, no, this can't be, and so on. So I want to read you just a little note here. Fallen angels. The simplest explanation of Gen- Genesis chapter six is that the the godly line of of Seth, the sons of God, began to mingle with the ungodly line of Cain, and this broke down the walls of separation, resulting in compromise and eventually degrading sin. But regardless of what interpretation you accept, keep in mind the main lesson. The angels rebelled and were punished for their rebellion. So no matter, if you want to argue the case on that, uh, go ahead, but keep in mind, the main purpose of the letter to Jude is that God doesn't want rebellion in the church. He wants harmony in the, in the church. All right? In verse 7, both Peter and Jude state that, that God made these cities an example to warn the ungodly that God does indeed judge sin. He will judge sin. All right? When you, when you combine their descriptions, you discover the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities involved were ungodly, filthy, wicked, unlawful, unjust, and given over to fornication. They did not occasionally commit unnatural sexual sins. They indulged in them. So it wasn't occasional. It was something that they indulged in and gave themselves over to the pursuit of lust. And the Greek, Greek verb is, is intensive. It means to indulge in excessive immorality. And we see that today in, in, in our country and, and around the world. And so sexual immorality is the number one thing that comes up. They try to push it no matter what. This was their way of life and death. Then he goes in. 
uh, verse 7. Then he goes in, verse, and Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a, in a similar manner as these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. Now, strange flesh is kind of interesting uh, because I didn't really know what that meant. But I thought, okay, and, and if you read different commentator, commentators, you might get a couple of different ideas. But what, which is right? I, I like this one because I think it makes sense, and so I'm going to read it to you. Strange flesh means different flesh. The bent of their life was constantly downward, indulging in unnatural acts, Romans 1, 24 through 27. Indeed, the men at Lot's door did not did want to engage in homosexual activity with, with his angelic guest, but the sodomites did not know that they were angels. Another possibility is that the sodomites were guilty not only of unnatural sex with each other, but also with animals, which would be strange flesh. So whichever, whichever uh, way you want to take it, to me that makes sense. Both homosexuality and bestiality are condemned by God in Levit Leviticus chapter 18. These cities were set forth by God as an example and warning to ungodly people today. The verb set forth means to expose openly. Set forth, expose openly to public view. Unbelief, rebellion against authority, and sensual indulgence were sins characteristic of false teachers. And they still are today. So in verse 8 through 10, he says, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, rejecting authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed, just a second, I got my page here. When he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not to bring against him a re reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do, they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. So we look at that and, and uh, this is a description of the false teachers. All authority comes from, from the throne of God. We, un we know that. Whether it is authority in the home the church, or the state. Those who exercise authority must first be under, under authority and accountable to God. But the false teachers reject divine authority and set themselves up as their own authority. The cause of their rebellion is found in the word dreamers. I didn't really un understand what, what that meant. They were dreamers. You know, they, they come up with their own idea. And uh, now I don't know about you guys, but, but uh, I dream a lot. And I, I can tell you, it's not, it's not a holy dream. It's not, it's not from God. I dream different things. Like going back to work, that's a nightmare. You know, especially in the summertime, because it's 110, 115, 
125 degrees in there. But I, but I do dream about that, and, and I wake up sweating. So these people live in a dream, dream world of unreality and delusion, and we see that. Man, how can we not see that today? These people are pushing these things in front of us, and they're, they're like they're right here. You're going to take it or else, you know. And so we got to keep that in mind. Having turned away from God's truth, they feed their minds on false doctrine that inflates their egos and encourages their rebellion. Jude 10 informs us that the apostates are ignorant people who do not know what they are talking about. Jude echoed Peter's description of these men as brute beasts. All right? I know we're moving, we're moving really fast here. Uh, verses 11 through 16, let me, let me read. Judgment and punishment of false teachers. Jude was not content simply to remind his readers to pay attention to what Peter had written. He wanted to add his own words of warning by, descript, by describing what the false teachers were like and what they would do to the church. The Spirit of God led Jude to describe the characteristics of apostates, reinforcing Peter's words, and at the same time, adding information. So Jude Jude 11 through 16, he says says this. Let me read. Woe to them, for they have gone in, in the way, in the way of Cain. Let me read that again. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perish in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast while the feast with you, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees with, without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, Wandering stars for whom is reserved for the blackness and darkness forever. And then he goes on and he says, Now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly. Among them all of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way which God, ungodly sinners have spoken, uh, harsh and ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking, in to the, walk, uh, walking according to their own lusts and their mouth with great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Blasphemy involves much more than taking God's name in vain, though that is the heart of it. A person blasphemes God when he takes his word lightly and even jests about it, or when he deliberately defies God to judge him. The condemnation of false teachers is given in Jude 11. At verse, uh, he said, Woe to them. Jude cited three examples from the Old Testament to illustrate the enormity of their sins. I want to just really quick go look at these. He says, first of all, the way of Cain. The way of Cain is pride. A man establishing his own righteousness 
and rejecting the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Christ. Cain became a fugitive and tried to overcome the wretchedness by building a city and developing salvation, civilization. He ended up with everything a man could desire. Everything, that is, except God. Then he says the heir of Balaam. Thinking that they can get away with this kind of rebellion, Balaam was a true prophet of God, but he prostituted his gifts and sought to destroy God's people. God turned Balaam's curses into blessings. It's in Deuteronomy 23. And then he talks about Korah. Korah is found in Numbers 16 and two centers on rebellion against authority. This is a warning for us today. For it is easy to speak against spiritual and government leaders in a careless way is rebellion against authority. It is interesting to note the verbs that Jude used in this verse. The apostates traveled on the road of Cain, gave themselves over to error of Balaam, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. The tragedy of rejecting authority. All right, now we're going to really quick like go to verses 17 through 25. If you can hang on, if I haven't put you to sleep yet. All right, verse 17. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some having compassion, making a distinction, but others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And verse 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our only Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So Jude begins... By addressing his audience, reminding them that the the apostate, the apostles had foretold the coming of, of, of mockers in the last days. These mockers are characterized by their divisive behavior, motivated by worldly desires and lacking the spirit of God. So he reminds them to be steadfast. Second, he reminds, he's instructing them to build up on your most holy faith. Jude encourages his readers to build themselves up in their most holy faith, to pray in the Spirit, and to keep themselves in the love of God. By doing so, they will be able to withstand and influence in the influence of mockers and false teachings. Number three, prayer and praise in, in verses 24 and 25. Jude advises his audience to show mercy to those who doubt, and to reach out to those who have been influenced by false teachings, seeking to save them from destruction 
who warns them, he warns them, however, to be careful and not be tainted by the sins of those who they are trying to help. And we know that in, Paul says, don't be partakers in their sin with them. All right, so the conclusion, uh, compassion and mercy toward those who doubt. And the final words of encouragement. In conclusion, oh, I got one more slide. I just put it up there. Maybe, maybe, there it is. Can you read that all right? This is an outline, Chuck Swindle. I got this from Chuck Swindle. That outline there. But this is the conclusion. In these verses, Jude urges his readers to stay strong in their faith. Resist the influence of false teachings and divisive people. And extend mercy and help to those who have been deceived. He emphasizes the ultimate power and glory of God. Affirming that God will protect and preserve his faithful followers. Now I know I ran through that really, really fast. There's probably a good four to six weeks in there of, of lessons, but I don't have four to six weeks. I have one week. And uh, so, all right. Any, any comments or questions? That if you're going to ask a question, speak up. All right. Well, must have covered it all, huh? <laughs> All right, we're going to take 